Hello and welcome to CART, a podcast about coffee and related topics. My name is James Perry. My name is Joseph Jenkins, owner and lead educator of Sustaining Coffee Company. This podcast was inspired by the many questions that are asked during monthly Coffee 101 classes. The aim of this show is to answer some of those questions in a more extensive manner. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Episode 21, Some Important Things in Coffee, featuring James Perry. Today's episode, we are joined by a very special Australian guest who is the first international guest of the show, James Perry. James Perry is a coffee professional and has been for 10 years. So this show is sure to be a great one. James, welcome to the show. How's it going? I'm really good. How are you? I am doing great. I'm very excited. We kind of talked a minute ago before recording. We're excited to have you on the show today. I'm happy to be here. I can't believe I'm the first international guest. This is so cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. It's only taken two seasons for it to happen. Big yeah. shout out to Zan Roach of Boycott Coffee here in town. He is the one who pointed James out to me. And he pointed it out to me because the Instagram that James runs has a lot of manual brewing things. Hand grinders seem to be right up his alley, which I am also very passionate about. But before we get to know who James is, we always like to start on some general coffee questions. And the question that we ask at the beginning of every show is, what you drinking? So, James, if you would like to start us off, what you drinking at home right now? So right now it's uh, it's a nice rainy morning in Canberra and I'm drinking a Bolivian Coconatural Java coffee. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot the varietal <laughs> entirely there. It's okay. Um, it's roasted by a guy called Gabriel um, who has a company called Nuav in Melbourne. He's just a, a micro-roaster down there, really focusing on like getting some high-end coffees. And this is this is really delicious. I've purchased a lot of Bolivian coffees for work. And there's like this kind of general like chocolatey, cocoa-y kind of mouthfeel to all of them that I really love. And so it's like these really complex flavors, but just backed up by like a lot of sweetness. Um, so with this small brew, I'm getting like a lot of black tea, kind of purple grape. It's nice cocoa-y finish. It's, uh, it's really delicious. Um, I was just brewing it on the Kono uh, using a recipe that was 13 grams of coffee, uh, ground to about a, a medium-ish setting. Oh, actually, this is pretty cool. Pouring uh, 50 grams of water uh, sort of every 30 seconds and just waiting for complete drain-throughs each time. So, yeah, super clean, uh, really nice body, really interesting sweetness. That sounds delicious. I'm drinking a coffee that I have had my fair share of. It's uh, Las Marias from um, Honest Coffee. It's the coffee roasters that I partner with throughout my education journey. Las Marias is really special to me simply because I have spoken to the importers and to um, people on the farm, so my heart is very close to them in a strange kind of way. But this coffee is similar to what you're saying with your Bolivia, is so chocolatey, um, really sweet, has kind of this citrus finish on it, and when it's served iced, it tastes like chocolate milk. So... Very nice. Flash brewing it has been kind of the way to go. I'm using a recipe from Curacao where um, they use the ratio breaks down to like one to five with ice and then one to ten with water. Super balanced, delicious. So (laughs) that's kind of what we're drinking today. But 
Another question that I like to ask our guest is, what would you say your favorite or just go-to region of coffee is? If you're, say, looking at a shelf of roasted bags, or maybe even if you're buying coffee for your cafe, um, what are some regions that you tend to reach for? I always like to answer this question by saying Ecuador. There's never a lot of Ecuador's in Australia. There's always like a pretty short kind of season for it. But uh, I find the coffees that have come in the past three years have just been phenomenal. Um, like so unique in the sweetness, uh, really like beautiful acidities, especially on some of those uh, Sidro varietals. They're like always coffees that I get really excited about. I'm like really passionate about drinking them because um, like on one of my first purchasing kind of things, it, it wasn't like strictly purchasing, but we're standing around this table and we cupped all these Ecuadors and I was like, we have to like import this coffee here. Uh, it's like number seven on the table. I was like, this is like the nicest coffee I've had in such a long time. And every time I drink Ecuador coffees, I just kind of get thrown back to that moment. I'm like, yes, love it. So I always like to keep an eye out for Ecuador's, but uh, yeah, also big fan of um, Ethiopians and Kenyans are always, uh, a winner for me, particularly like a big juicy Kenyan. And I, I think natural Ethiopians have been much better. I think processing's like been a little bit cleaner this harvest. So I've been quite enjoying that as well, which is cool. Ecuador, that's another first of the show. You're the first guest to give us Ecuador. <laughs> I had someone tell me that Sumatra was their favorite region, which I was like, wow, no one yeah. has ever told me that. So <laughs> you go. Big shout out to Ecuador. <laughs> <laughs> awesome so you're kind of hinting with saying that you like ecuador's because when you drink them it takes you back to this moment um, at the cupping table but a further question that we could derive kind of off of that there's this interesting line between our taste and our emotions if you think of like christmas thanksgiving or any other family holidays that you might celebrate you can draw a line to the taste from those events and your emotions and that translates over for coffee drinking i would say um, even if you're not drinking specialty coffee. For me, I tend to always look for um, florality and for tea-likeness, and I like those in my coffee, and I blame it on my mom, because growing up, my mom was always drinking new teas, um, and it was something we always had in the house, so I was being exposed to it a lot. Whereas my friend Bartholomew, Coffee Black, um, he talks a lot about liking um, juicy red fruit, um, rich coffee, and it comes from a childhood of drinking Kool-Aid. Um, so those are just some kind of examples. Do you have any kind of emotional ties that maybe you can identify with your own coffee journey? I love answering this question for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I guess uh, me and Bartholomew have a little bit in common. I grew up pretty much exclusively drinking cordial until maybe 15. <laughs> I remember like, oh, I might have a glass of water now and I haven't drunk cordial since, but so much of what my touch for taste is based on those kind of standard green, red, yellow, orange, like mixed fruit flavors from cordial. And my first coffee job was actually in an ice cream shop. It was like a gelato bar, cafe, espresso bar yeah. kind of hybrid. And we, we were actually buying like some pretty outstanding gelato. Tasting coffee and learning how to brew coffee and like learning how to analyze flavor is kind of would refer back to ice cream flavors. So that's another big thing for me when I talk about flavor. I usually either talk about it in terms of like cordial or like fizzy drinks and ice cream. Ice cream is like the big one for me. I'll be like lemon sorbet like rather than just lemon. Sure. <laughs>
Yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of my my main two uh, points for flavor. Yeah, the ice cream shop is always plays a big one, and I sometimes I feel a bit silly at a cupping table being like, oh, like like had a, um, a coffee from Yemen that reminded me of a coconut and lychee gelato that we had, and I was like, oh, it's like coconut lychee gelato, and like, couldn't you have just said coconut <laughs> and lychee? Like, nah, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> That's great. I, I really like the Thai ice cream. I think ice cream in general is just uh, something that I, I can certainly get behind. So I, I think I might even try to start connecting my own. Be like, hmm, what ice cream does this taste like? So that's fun. Yeah. And it's good because if it means you're going to eat more ice cream, then that's always a good exactly. thing too. We got some great options for ice cream in Memphis too. So I'll get on that. Excellent. <laughs> that's just some general coffee questions for us to kind of gauge where you are in your own um, tasting journey at least but James if you don't mind could you just give us a quick insight on who you are you know we know you're Australian we know you're on the show obviously you're into coffee um, but really who are you yeah I'm James I'm Australian I'm on this show <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist so I've been a coffee professional for the past 10 years now um, which is very exciting and on either side of that I've I have a really like I'm passionate about sort of food service and hospitality and like I just love food and when I go traveling I just pick restaurants and that's like all me and my partner do when we go traveling is just eat. That's when I was growing up I always wanted to be a chef and my mom used to say don't be a chef the hours are really bad so I kind of was like oh maybe I'll make coffee instead. Um, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> Aside from that, I, I did a degree in public relations and advertising, which I really didn't enjoy. I really didn't like being at uni. I, I didn't really like the way the course was taught. I didn't really like connect with very much of it. And then now here I am seven years later working in exactly that field. So, yeah, in my own unique way, and it's still very much connected to coffee. I, I always hesitate to say, like, coffee is my life because I don't like being that kind of person, but I'd kind of be lying if I didn't say coffee was my life. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's me, really. I, I also enjoy photography, making videos and, and cycling as well. Pretty much 99% of what I do is coffee-related <laughs> or eating food. So <laughs> Both of those things I think we have in common, for sure. Excellent. Um, yeah, James, you can, he has an Instagram as well as a blog, um, the Instagram is kind of where I saw your, your a lot of your stuff, a lot of fun manual brewing videos. We'll be sure to plug you here at the end so people can know where to check that out. But I would like to, us to kind of get into our main discussions today. We don't necessarily have one topic. We kind of have a series of sort of related topics. But just kind of in the vein of general principles, here soon we're going to be launching a new series on the podcast that's also probably going to go up on Instagram. Um, it's called Back to Basics, and it's just where we're going to go back and cover some of the general brewing principles to help those who are just getting interested in coffee and manual brewing. Because um, I realize a lot of the show has, while the beginning episodes were very principle, fundamental, we have very quickly taken a turn to talking in not surface level anymore. We're talking about deep subjects, um, more supply chain issues, more interpersonal relationship issues. But I think it's important that we as sustain, and just as coffee professionals in general, kind of recenter ourselves every now and again. So what are some general principles, James, that you maybe like to return to or find that you teach when you're educating 
For us, we like to use things such as ratios, dosages, and grind size. Those seem to be the top three things that we get asked. Um, so we just talk about them a lot. So do you have any kind of brewing principles that are basic that you like to think of? One thing that always surprises me is grind size and, and sort of the correlation of that and, and shot times, particularly uh, when I'm teaching kind of espresso, in that typically if we're, say, if we have like, you know, a house blend or something like that, and it's always got the same sort of two components, nine times out of 10, you can find a good ratio that's going to work for that coffee. And all you're going to need to do is kind of change the grind. Um, and so that's one thing that I always encourage people to explore. I'm like, just start with looking at what your different grind times are going to be, because often there's like going to be a really sweet spot for pretty much any kind of brew ratio of your correlated shot times and grind size that goes with that. Um, so that's one thing that, yeah, when I have sort of new baristas, I'm like, right, like keeping your shot times running well and like obviously alongside a solid brew ratio is just really important. Um, a lot of people I find like once you start teaching them how to dial in, they can be very trigger happy. And I'm like, it doesn't necessarily need to be like, you don't need to come up with a brand new recipe every day. Like, if it's good, it's good. And so I guess that's kind of part two of it is like, I always like to encourage people, particularly like uh, when I'm teaching about service, is also when to call it quits in a way. There's no point in breaking your heart for an extra hour once service begins, if you're just trying to make your coffee taste like half a point better or whatever. So I always like to encourage people to be like, all right, sometimes like, you know, coffee is an organic product, right? It's going to be different uh, it's been roasted, it's constantly kind of decaying and constantly releasing gas. Every day is going to be slightly different. Maybe some days it won't be an 86. Maybe some days it'll be slightly better or slightly worse, but like that's okay as well, just as long as at the end of the day the coffee is tasty and it's doing its job as far as like what the goal of brewing that coffee is. Yeah, I like that idea of knowing when to call it quits. The episode that has just gone up, previous to us recording today, was talking about getting out of brewing ruts. And it's something that yeah. um, I have found myself being in, and as well as those that I've taught around me, is that they kind of get stuck in this rut of doing the same thing over and over again, and they're not creatively inspired. But there is a mm. certain time, I think, where there should be no stress you know, to develop a new recipe or develop a new strategy from the ground up every time you brew. So I like the idea that you're saying of focusing just on grind size, um, and really honing in on that one variable, I could see how that's really helpful, definitely. Yeah, and I think like it's not necessarily something that you need to do all the time. It's not necessarily something that you need to think about all the time. But for me, like service is always going to be pretty much the most important thing when it comes to you know working in a coffee shop. And if you're if you can like confidently serve an espresso, and you're like, I know that this might not be maybe as perfect as it possibly could be, but I know that I can serve it with a smile and say, like, this is delicious. Like, you know, customers are just going to want to kind of vibe with your positive energy at the end of the day. Like, you know, they're not going to notice, or, you know, maybe they will notice, but at the end of the day, like, you having good service is what matters the most. Yes. Um, and then sort of leaving happy is what matters the most. And if you're preoccupied thinking like, oh, like, what if I try this? What if I try that? Um, then maybe that's going to affect your overall kind of service. Yeah, kind of what we talked about before we, we hit the record button today was um, just the idea of how a cafe that has the friendliest staff is the one that you tend to visit the most. 
And I think that's, that's certainly yeah. Because what sticks with me after I leave a cafe, more than the coffee itself, even though I do go there for the coffee, is what was the experience like with the individual behind the bar? Like, were they engaging with me? Were they interested mm. that I was there? Did they want to know about me or more than just surface level things? Um, and that really sticks with me more than, more than coffee itself. Yeah, and I guess, like, at the same time, it's a little bit like food, right? If you're going out to a restaurant, maybe you're not going to have, like, the best steak. Like, it might be the same or, you know, best, like, pumpkin or whatever. Like, it might be the same, like, type of food that you're eating. It might be cooked slightly differently depending on the day. And you're not going to be like, hmm, this was slightly better last time. You're going to be like, oh, I really like going to that restaurant. I like ordering that dish. It's the same for me as going out to a cafe. Like, even if it's not the best espresso you've ever had, like, maybe it would never have been the best espresso you've ever had. But if you can still have, like, a positive experience with going there, then I think that's kind of what I always like to value and what I think is really important to sort of teach baristas about. Yeah, most certainly. I think, too, um, with espresso, I would love to talk about that really briefly, kind of while we're adjacent to it. So last year, I spent 12 months logging espresso data. If you awesome. don't know much about me, the one thing that you should know is that I, I love data. I love logging. I love numbers. Give me every spreadsheet possible. It's, it's my thing, right? So, of course, I'm going to do this with Espresso. Um, but I just wanted to see differences while I was dialing in. Um, and this was, mm. it wasn't every shot that I drank. It was more so every shot that I spent on dial-in. So, you know, when I arrive on shift early in the morning and, and tasting stuff, I'm, I'm writing everything down. One thing I noticed very yeah. early on, both with this project as well as just working in a cafe in general, was how espresso can be very wasteful and resource heavy very quickly. So you think of mm. you know, like whenever you're dosing out, say it's 18 grams, and um, your grinder goes to 18.6, and you remove that excess 0.6, it usually gets tossed, um, and this carries on. And it just kind of bothered me yeah. that it was so wasteful. Um, apart from like purging your grinder as well in between bags or in between roast dates, etc., I started taking that waste product and taking it home and then I would brew with this pre-ground coffee, TDS it, and I found that there was still a good amount of potential that could be enjoyed with what was normally just waste product. So do mm. you have any thoughts on espresso and the potential for it to be wasteful, um, you know, thinking of dialing in, tossing those excess grounds from dosages and the likes? Immediately springs to mind is resting coffee. One thing I always like to encourage baristas to do is kind of sit on a bag for a little bit longer. Just as coffees kind of degas a little bit more, um, they can brew up a lot more consistently. And I found that, you know, if, we, if we're brewing a, a four-week-old coffee rather than a two-week-old coffee, we're probably going to find we're adjusting the dial on the EK a little bit less, um, particularly like for those sort of single-dose, uh, maybe single-origin espressos and such where i used to work in sydney like we'd sort of have a pretty uh modern kind of take on espresso like everything was served uh very very long like sort of one to three point three ratios was like pretty standard for uh the coffee bars that i was working in um and i found like yeah nine times out of ten you would have a more consistently brewed coffee if it was just you know even an extra week could make a really really big difference um 
and obviously storage as well. Like if you can store that coffee that's been aged in a very airtight environment or in like a like one of those fellow Atmos canisters or something like that, then you're going to kind of preserve it at its peak for a little bit longer and you'll hopefully enjoy like the results of a more consistent coffee. And, you know, if it's degassed a little bit more, it's probably going to suit that more modern style or like, you know, uh, longer style of extraction anyway. Um, so that's one kind of thing that I always think about when I think of espresso wastage. Um, and I think for sort of on the bar service, like as far as the actual waste product, I, I feel like I don't know enough to say like, oh, you know, we should be doing this with uh, with how uh, grinds that aren't good enough. But, you know, one thing I used to see a lot of was people would sort of set that set those coffee grinds aside and they'd leave it in a, in a bucket or something like that and they could use that to sort of purge the machine in the morning um, and do sort of some interesting things like that. But I really like what you said there about the TDS still kind of holding up and there still being potential for... Uh, that lost coffee yeah that's really i was i did i did a bunch of experiments with it have a whole graph on my findings but i did you know just normal kalila i did some aeropress stuff and i also did some cold brew stuff um and both the cold brew and aeropress stuff was fantastic yeah cool and that was the best so and this was all from different days too so this would have been you know say monday grinds tuesday grinds wednesday grinds and surely there's some slight indifferences in between the days uh, whenever we adjust a grind size. Um, but it was an, it was an yeah. interesting observation in terms of what can be done with something that is normally wasted. Absolutely. That's really cool. And I, I feel like, um, just quickly on that, like there's so many things that, like, I, I know the coffee industry has come so far in the past 10 years. Sure. But I still feel like there's always going to be these little things that we just think we're not, like, meant to do. <laughs> like, you know, using those old grinds or I'm sure I could think of many other things. Uh, uh, pre-grinding coffee has been like another big one for me. Like um, I've been experimenting a lot with pre-ground coffee, like even grinding coffees the night before and leaving it in a airtight container. I'm like, you know, it's good. Like it's still tasty. <laughs> um, and yeah, I feel like there's so many of these little things that as an industry, we're still kind of holding onto and we still kind of let like define our practices, but yeah, that's really cool that you're kind of thinking out of the box there and having the data to kind of back it up as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of definitely a testament to my personality in terms of just like why <laughs> just asking questions always and hopefully finding some yeah. sort of positive outcome. Um, yeah, it's the only way forward in the industry. Definitely. Um, so another thing that we kind of had on our list of things to discuss and we've already hinted at a bit was um, with this idea of being stuck in a brewing rut. Um, so, of course, at the cafe behind the espresso machine, this can look a lot different than it does maybe to the person who is at home and is brewing with the same numbers as usual. What are some maybe encouragements that you have found are beneficial for those who are stuck in these brewing ruts? I'm going to quickly tell a bit of a personal story here. When I started James Perry Coffee in 2018, it was, it was mostly to document sort of going through the Brewer's Cup process. By the end of 2019, I was like, I don't really know what to do with this page. Like, you know, I'm not really like doing much with it. It's not really saying anything that I want it to be saying. And I also found I was getting really bored with 
the manual brew coffees I'd have at home. You know, I'd have one coffee, I'd brew the same recipe, just kind of like a three times bloom and then two equal pours of water after that. Give it a swirl, you know, is it astringent? No. Cool, it's probably pretty tasty then. And like I found myself feeling really like, uh, surely there's got to be more that we can do. Um, and so for me, I actually started looking at what other sort of Brewers' Cup competitors were doing because my Brewers' Cup recipe at, at the time was very much based around like a high agitation, high temperature, high, like fine grind sort of style of brewing. Just found myself getting really bored with it. And I think one of the big things that, oh, there were two kind of things. Um, one was I wanted to stop looking at coffee as, as a job and I wanted to start looking at it as a hobby. And the other thing was I wanted to stop thinking about flavor in like a linear sense of like, you know, we can grind finer and we can achieve a high, high TDS and we can brew hotter and we can achieve a higher TDS. And I wanted to think like strictly about what the flavor of the coffee I was drinking was, not necessarily anything else, but only what flavors I was finding. Um, and that's kind of what repositioned my thinking with James Perry Coffee as well was being like, okay, let's put away the refractometer and let's just like try a completely random recipe taste it and just focus on like what I'm tasting. And I think alongside that, like when we talk about sort of brewing ruts is switching up roasters, switching up style of roasts, another two really big things, because for me, like I wouldn't be where I am today as far as like manual brewing skills go, if it wasn't for me having two coffees that were not the coffees that I normally would have purchased. I didn't brew these coffees in a way that I thought made sense. I didn't brew these coffees in a way that I thought played by the rules. And I found them to be two of the most incredibly outstandingly memorable coffees of my life. And they were just sort of by looking at a different roaster, different processing, different like country, like for, for the roaster as well. And then thinking about brewing in a completely different way. And for me, that was like a really positive change that, uh, yeah, made me think about like manual brewing coffee in a completely different light. Yeah, those are some great thoughts. I, I definitely think that trying stuff at random is incredibly helpful because you get so caught up in following this exact procedure that you can really lose, and what you were saying about coffee being a job, you can lose this interpersonal connection that can exist between you and a said coffee or brewing device. Um, mm. It becomes just about achieving like when you're talking about using a refractometer it becomes about just achieving this number set and if it doesn't achieve this number set then it's not good and the reality is is that's not true it's like you can still have enjoyable coffee that doesn't necessarily tds quote correctly yeah absolutely and i think like i have some pretty red hot opinions about tdsing and refractometizing whatever you want to call it. I think overall it's an incredible tool and I love the data that it gives. I particularly love it for, you know, calibrating grinders and like finding sort of what your most efficient way to get a particular sort of set of numbers is. But I think one thing that I like want to remind people of is like at the end of the day, we're just brewing something to create flavor. And that's like, there's so much that we can do to actually achieve that. And even, even with trying random recipes and stuff as well, like, I think it's important and like one thing that I want to try and do from here on out is to encourage people to not just try something random, but to think about what those changes might actually be doing to the flavor. You know, maybe it won't be a super high TDS and maybe that's going to be a good thing. Maybe that's also going to be a bad thing. Like I get messages from people being like, hey, I tried your recipe and it tasted bad. 
it was really weak. What are you doing? <laughs> like, I don't know. It tastes like this recipe for me worked on this day, and I thought it tasted good. Maybe it's not as uh, intense as other coffees, but, you know, it's just like something to try. And then usually the subsequent message is, so I tried either another recipe or I tried what I normally do, but tweaked it a little bit and it was really good. I'm like, cool. Like that's kind of what the end game is. Like be less prescriptive and like just kind of focus on finding what you actually want to be drinking. Coffee can be a form of creative expression. So your creative expression mm. may look completely different than mine and <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, it's, um, it's a really cool thing. And like I, I love, well, I guess like when I first started seeing coffee bloggers pop up on Instagram and stuff like as you know a long-time coffee professional I was like what do these people know like you know they aren't they aren't behind behind lines like you know serving espressos for the public they're just like playing around with their fancy grinders at home um but the more I've kind of spent in that community the more I'm like no this is really cool that like so many people can have so many different connections and expressions and like can be so creative with like either making content or even just brewing coffee in itself is like, it's like a fun thing. It's a creative thing that makes people feel good. And I'm like, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. I think that is kind of, I didn't want to keep you for too long today. Those are the main things I wanted to discuss. Did you have any other further thoughts before we maybe wrap up for the afternoon? I think, I think I'm, I'm pretty happy with what's been said. Like the main thing I was going to say was like, I really love what you're doing. I really love, what your approach is. I really love like the messages that you're sending out. I think that's really cool. And I really am excited to see like what you keep on coming up with. Building coffee community, like community in coffee is such a beautiful and amazing thing. It has just been growing and people can do it in so many different ways now more than ever. And yeah, I just think that's, it's really wonderful. I love seeing like-minded sort of hospitality professionals who are just like, making people feel good about drinking coffee. Like, that's what, that's what everyone should be doing when they're drinking coffee. They should be feeling good and feeling happy about it. Certainly. I appreciate those kind words from you. So, James, is there any specific places that people can find you and maybe see what you're working on? Absolutely. So, my Instagram is James Perry Coffee. That's one word. I've got some big plans for that this year. I kind of want to change up my content style a little bit and make it a little bit more kind of on camera and, and sort of talking more specifically about things. Particularly, I want to be focusing on uh, the manual brewing dial-in process. The other thing that's really exciting is I'll be doing my first uh, coffee pop-up. I've, I've started my own small business, which is very fun. And that's called Best Coffee, uh, spelled B-E-D-S-T, which is the Danish word for best. And it's going to be brewing all Nordic coffee uh, in a little bakery called Under Bakery in Canberra. And you can follow Best Coffee on uh, Instagram at uh, B-E-D-S-T. Dot coffee. Yeah, I'll be posting all updates about that event. I've got some really exciting roasters and some pretty outstanding coffees coming in. So yeah, really, really pumped for that. Very exciting. Well, I don't know if I'll be able to come visit you, but I definitely can. We can, we can all share our love <laughs> to you online for sure. Thank you very much. Thank you again so much for taking some time out of your coffee life to discuss coffee with us today. Anytime. And thank you, listener, for listening to Season 2, Episode 21. Want to be featured on the show? You can. When you visit anchor.fm forward slash 901 card, you can submit a voice message to us. Otherwise, to submit your corrections, questions, and discussion starters, you can just email us at 901sustaincoffee.com. 
And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at 901 Sustain Coffee, as well as check out our YouTube by looking up Sustain Coffee Company. Again, no question or thought is insignificant to us, so let your voice be heard. Until next time.